Morning, everybody. Happy last week of June. Raise your hand if you're sunburned. Yep. Raise your hand if you're going to be sunburned. Yep. Very nice. Um, yeah, we are in the we are in thick of summer right now, and um, but very thankful to be with you here this morning to pull back at least and to reconsider who am I, who is God, how do we fit together. If you're familiar with the story, and I imagine you are, of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It has stood the test of time. It was written in the mid-1800s. But it's the story of a, a scientist set in London in and around the time that it was written, around mid-1800s. And it, it was about a scientist who was curious about what he called his second nature, about the, the darker side of himself. And so he wanted to investigate this darker side of himself, so he created a potion that would allow him to become an unrestrained dark side of himself, known as Mr. Hyde. Unrestrained evil with freedom from conscience. That's what Mr. Hyde was. This benign experiment, though, very quickly goes off the rails. What started as an experiment that was very controllable begins to go completely awry. He loses control of Mr. Hyde, and when Mr. Hyde comes in, and when Mr. Hyde goes away, it, it spins to the point of multiple people being murdered by Mr. Hyde. It gets to the point where Dr. Jekyll says, I've, I'm done with this. I resolve no longer, Mr. Hyde, no more. And so he puts on a happy face, and a couple of weeks go by, and he's smiley, and it seems like he's got this Mr. Hyde thing lit. Till one day, he's talking to a couple of his friends through the window, and something begins to come over his face. Physically, Mr. Hyde looks different than Dr. Jekyll did, and he turns in that moment with his two friends standing right there into Mr. Hyde. And very quickly, he realizes what's happened. He shuts the doors real quick. A couple more weeks go by. Nobody sees him. Nobody hears from him except his house servants that were helping clean his house and cook his food and all those things. They, they start to hear a new voice. And that voice is no longer of Dr. Jekyll, but it is the growly, putrid voice of Mr. Hyde. And then eventually, it goes quiet. The door gets opened, and he's killed himself. Because the only way that Mr. Hyde would go away is by his death. The reality then of good and evil, we, we feel this. The, the reason this story has stood the test of time is because it is so true to our experience. It's so true to our reality as humans, right? And, and stories like this have been written and told throughout generations. It goes all the way back to, you know, like the Greek god Dionysus who had kind of these two faces. Or bring it into, uh, bring it into our day, the Batman villain Two-Face, or take it to Marvel, you got the Marvel character Venom or Green Goblin. It's these, these two-sided characters who are at war internally with each other, this one personality with the other. But every story has this one key characteristic. The key characteristic is that 
when evil wins is when the fight stops. And that is very true in the Christian life as well. The passage we're about to read describes sort of the, a Christian understanding of these two personalities that find their way inside of ourselves. And if the gospel changes everything, as this series purports it to be, then it has to start with changing us. And so as we wrestle with what that looks like for us to change from the inside out, let's hear Scripture on it. So Galatians 5, 16 through 26, I believe Catherine Singleton is going to come up and read for us. All right, Galatians 5, 16 through 26 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have shown us inside of ourselves. We are a mystery to ourselves. <laughs> and so much of what our hearts do are not what we want them to do. And so much of what we want to do is not what we end up doing. Help us. Holy Spirit, come even now. Speak to our hearts. Call us out of darkness and remake us in the light of your Son. We pray this in Christ. Amen. Uh, I'm Jeremy, by the way. Uh, I have a bad habit of not doing that when I get up here. But, um, yeah, I also have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And um, I just forgot to say that earlier. So forgive me. My bad. My bad. Um, so last week, to kind of hinge on where we were, last week we were talking about our identity being changed by the gospel. So from orphans and slaves to sons and daughters. And as that identity is shifted from one to the other in Christ, so now our inside begin to match what is already said to be true of us on the outside according to God. So that's what we're talking about today, our heart catching up to the reality of what God says that we are. So as reconciled children, as His ambassadors in a war-torn world, war-torn inside and war-torn outside, we now have this dual nature inside of us. And what Paul describes as the sinful nature, he calls the flesh, 
That is the old nature that dwells inside of us that is constantly pulling us in a direction that we don't necessarily want to go. Other times we don't. But now, that's not the only thing that governs us. Now, in Christ, as we have a new identity, He also gives us His Spirit. And as the Spirit of God, then it begins to pull out the image of God that's already inside of us, begins to remake us more and more and more to look like Jesus, crying out, like we read last week in Galatians 4, crying out, Abba, Father, make me like you. I'm so far from who I see your holiness and your glory to be. Make me more like you. And he does, as his dearly loved children. He does. Prior to this passage, prior to the Holy Spirit implanting in us a new nature, we just got one, and that is the sinful nature. And it, from the time we are born, it is constantly pulling us around from one place to another. But here's the point. The main thing that I want you to hear this morning, if you find inside of yourself a fight, if you find inside of yourself a tension, between who you know God is calling you to be and who you are. That's a good place to be. Welcome. That's healthy Christianity. Because here's the misunderstanding. What we tend to think of as healthy Christianity is, oh, I got that flesh thing licked. Like, I took care of that. I left that 30 years ago when I walked that aisle. But no, this is a moment by moment crucifying of putting it to death, putting on the Spirit, walking in that. It is, that's the picture that is in front of us today. Constantly be fighting that fight, to be battling internally with ourselves is a good thing. And so if there are days where you just feel crazy because everything inside of you is screaming in one direction and everything you know you should be doing is going in the other direction, if those two things feel like they could almost tear you apart, The Spirit is at work. You are alive to God. If there's no fight in you, that's a bigger question. Is the Spirit doing anything? Has the Spirit come into me, or is this just something I'm mentally assenting to? True belief, true faith comes with it, true transformation. The fight is worth it. The fight is real. That's where we're going. So, we're going to hit these two main things that the passage goes after. One, working by the flesh. Two, walking by the Spirit. And there's a difference between those two. So first, throughout the book of Galatians, to catch you up, since we're just kind of parachuting into the middle of this book, throughout the book of Galatians, the, the idea of works comes out quite a bit. Here's a couple of ways that works get talked about. Galatians 2, 16, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. No one can do good enough in and of themselves to make themselves right with God. Nobody. Not Bono, not Mother Teresa, not Gandhi, nobody. Not even Dave. No one can do enough good to be right with God. Why? Fast forward to the next chapter, Galatians 3, verse 10. Because all who rely on works 
of the law are under a curse. For it is written, here's the curse, cursed be everyone who does not abide by, here's the word, all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So it's just this easy. The summary that Jesus gives of the Ten Commandments, love God, love neighbor, all the time. That's easy, right? Love God, love neighbor, all the time. How'd it go this morning? How'd it go this past week? Probably some good, probably some bad. Love God, love neighbor all the time. Now, add to that something else Paul says in the book of Romans, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. There are many people who are relative to other people, good people. What those three passages sandwiched together tell us, though, is that good people relative to each other are still not good people in comparison relative to the holiness of God. And so to be good is not enough because there is no goodness that can get you to him because unless you've covered the whole thing all the time, every day, your whole life, you barely make it through a couple of minutes. That's the standard. Here's where we fall. That's the picture up to this point that Galatians has been painting. And naturally, inside of ourselves, when we are born, you've heard that image or that phrase, you can't squeeze blood from a turnip? Your parents will explain it later. Oh, you're my kid. I'll explain it later. Uh, (laughs) Meaning, you can't make something be something that isn't that thing. You can't squeeze blood from a turnip because blood doesn't come from turnips. You can't squeeze good works out of a dead person. You can't squeeze good works from an unconverted person. You can't squeeze truly good works out of a person who is not indwelt by the Spirit because that's where good comes from, from Him. Not something I can squeeze out of myself. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, passed down generation to generation to generation, we are born like that. Baby, we are born this way. Martin Luther calls this the bondage of the will. When we are born, we are bound to one will inside of ourselves, and that is the will of me. And I go where I want to go. I do what I want to do. It does not take long in the child-rearing process to realize that it's just natural. And then it doesn't stop. You just get older and you get more talented at it. Our wills are bound naturally to self, to flesh, to me. So the works of the flesh then just flow out of that. They flow out of self. There is what's, it's what self wants to do. And so we have this whole list that was given with some very uncomfortable words in there. There are four big categories, though, and I'll just hit those four big categories as a way of self-reflection, even in your seat, right here in the moment. These four categories, sex, religion, illicit conflict, and illicit consumption, all good things in and of themselves, twisted, though, internally, which is what every sin is. 
Which of those four categories, as you even read through that list again now, which category plagues you most right now? And here's the thing. This is not an if. This is a when. Right now, what is it? The, the assumption is that everybody in this room, from what this passage is saying, is going to be struggling with something. Probably many somethings compounded one on top of another. What would you say that is for you right now? Pornography, lust, worship of money or image or success, bitterness, strife, anger, impatience, you're on a hair trigger. It's me right now. Too much beer or ice cream or those purple Doritos. Gosh, those are the best. Amen. Escape the pressures and the difficulties of life. Oh. Now, here's the temptation. When you come across a thought in your mind, when you come across a desire in your body, when you come across something that, that scrapes past your memory and you don't like it and you think, oh, I can't believe I just thought that. The temptation is to think, if anybody else knew that about me, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't even know. I can't say those things out loud. I can't even, I can't even say to myself that that's what I just thought or that's what I just felt or that's what I just desired. The invitation of this passage, the invitation of the Spirit is to come out of hiding, to say, the reality, the healthy Christian has a constant running total of all the things and a tally right now, today, this morning, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm struggling with. That should be part of your daily inventory. This is where I'm at. This is, as I look back over this list, as I, as I look over the, the law of God and think about my heart in reflection to that kind of standard, this is where I'm falling short. This is where I'm being tempted. This is where my patience is on a hair trigger. This is where I'm tempted to look this way when I should look that way or go this way when I should go that way. That is a healthy list to have. Build that into your Christian vocabulary. Build that into your prayer life. Build that into your journaling and your time in the Word. Build that into how you are receiving the Word even right now as you sit here. All those ouch points are good. They're good starting points. They're good points to say, that's what I don't want. Holy Spirit, change me. But if you don't admit there's a problem, you can't have any healing. Okay. Verse 21 then. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That word do... You may be scared from reading that. Wait, so you're saying if I've done something like that and I'm not going to be in the kingdom? The word do is a perpetual action. So it's not just those who did it, are repenting of it, are seeking to mortify it and to vivify their life in the spirit, but it's the one who's saying, yeah, I'm just going to kind of be okay with that. It's the one who has given up the fight. That's the one where you start to ask the question, Am I living by the Spirit right now, or am I just following where my flesh wants me to go? So I don't know if you know this. 
hopefully you've picked this up just in the vibe around this place and the various other campuses, but your pastors at Midtown are a mess, y'all. Part of the requirement for me to work here was to be a train wreck. You're welcome. The first thing, when my interview weekend, I get off the plane, Dave picks me up from the airport, and we show up to the stone house, and we go to the basement, which is scary, and then I sit there and get grilled for three hours. Dave asked me the question, do you like being you? I don't know. Ah, That's a complicated question. But I hope, I hope what you're picking up in the vibe of, of your interaction with the pastors around Midtown is that the desire, at least, and we stink at this too, to be at the front of the line of sinners. We want to be the chief, not to glorify the sin, but to glorify the Savior. And to the degree that we see how big a sinners we are, we can see our need for grace, and we can see Jesus being sufficient for that. That's the heart behind this place. That's the heart behind the church across the world and across the span of history. So the way that we say that then in our statement across these campuses is gospel transformation through multiple congregations. This is what Midtown is all about. It's about being transformed not by the grittiness of our will, but by the goodness of God's grace. Gospel transformation. We certainly see our need, hopefully up to this point. We see, help, help, I need it. How do we get it? What does it look like then to be transformed by the gospel? It looks like walking by the Spirit. And so transitioning to the second point, to to walk by the Spirit, verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean? To be under the law then is for God to count your sins against you. For his righteous requirement, his holiness, his goodness, his justice, which he is just and that is good to have a just God, for the gavel to come down on you guilty. That is to live by the law. Because as those passages we stacked up earlier say, there is no one good, not even one. So to live under the law is to live condemned to the death and the hell that our sins deserve. But to be led by the Spirit, verse 18, is to be given a new heart. What is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to make Jesus the Son, and God the Father look amazing. Why? Because He loves them. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in this mutual love fest. Before anything else was, there was love, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the Spirit's job is to make them look great. So if love is His motivation, then for the Spirit to come into you, the primary outcry of your heart, like we saw, Abba, Father, I love you, I need you, help. When the Spirit 
of God comes into the life of a believer, that is what begins to happen. And then out of love for him, out of a new understanding, a new heart that's been put out of you or put into you as the old heart is being exchanged one for the other, you begin to see things differently. You begin to see, I think I can actually believe what this thing says. I think I can actually believe that there was a man who was also God whose name was Jesus. I think I can actually believe that he lived a perfect life for 33 years. We just confessed, or at least I just confessed, I can barely do it for two minutes. He did it for 33 years. Perfect. Not only in action, but in heart. How amazing is Jesus? So to believe in that means he did that for a reason. And that reason was love. And the, the, the object of that love was me and you. He lived this perfect life to say, this is now my record and it is for you. The righteous requirement of the law, I did it. It's complete. Check here. And then let me take your flesh, your sinful record, and I'm going to nail it to the cross. That's what the move of the cross is. And the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and helps us to actually believe, whoa, I think that's actually possible. In fact, I think it's true. And I don't only think it's true, but I think I had to have it be true for me. Not only to live by the Spirit is to believe that that is true, but it is to believe that He did not do that out of duty, but out of love for me. It is supernatural to believe that God loves you. Do you believe that? That is a gift of the Spirit to believe that God loves you. As true as the reality of his love for you is then, that love then flow out of you. It is natural as you are loved. Like, you know, Elf, when he's finally in love, and he says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. What then? He goes frolicking down the streets. He makes those paper snowmen hung from that window at Gable's. There's an overflow of love as we receive that from him that begins to shower everybody around us. And what does that look like? That looks like fruit. So first, I want to debunk one thing. Uh, To follow the Spirit feels very mystical. It feels very kind of otherworldly, like I don't exactly know how to do that. Do I have to learn some sort of like secret meditation principle? No, to follow the Spirit is very unspectacular. To follow the Spirit is more and more and more to be convinced God loves me. And to be more and more and more convinced to live in His ways, the ways of the Spirit, and not in my flesh. Very unspectacular. But as you do, fruit comes out of your life. Now, four quick things. If you're note takers, you can write these things down. Four quick things about fruit. There's a reason why there's two different analogies drawn. There's the works of the flesh, things we perpetrate. If works are perpetrated, fruit is cultivated. There's a difference in the activity and the passivity of the two. Works, there is a complete activity. I do this because I want to do it. Fruit is a little more a push and a pull. 
So maybe this would be a way to illustrate it. One, fruit. You can't force it. But you can set an environment for it to grow in. There is a difference between good soil and bad soil. And so just like real fruit, there is a cultivation that you can begin in your life to till up the soil, to get out the rototiller and to look at your heart and to say, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that, and to more and more repent of those things that are, that are of the flesh, to push those things as far away from you and in obedience to Christ begin to move the other direction. And as that as that soil is prepared, as you're putting off the things of the flesh and as you're putting on the things of the Spirit, meaning God loves me, He wants more for me than this. Jesus is more satisfying than anything I was looking to over here to satisfy me. As you repent and believe, you're tilling up the soil, you're fertilizing the soil so that fruit can begin to grow. Second, it grows slow. We have a raspberry bush in our side yard, and my kids pick it clean about every day. And somehow, if you were to stand there and watch it, you'd be like, the raspberries are done. They're gone. There's no more. But somehow, in the morning, while we sleep, more raspberries just pop up on that bush. To bear fruit is a slow process. And so it may not be that you can see yourself growing. It may not be that you can see your children growing. It may not be that you can see your spouse growing or your friends growing. But over the course of time, as the Spirit bears fruit, you change. Take heart. Be patient. It's happening. Third, it grows, fruit grows in three directions. You could think of this like a vine. It grows in three directions. The first three, love, joy, peace. These are fruits as you grow in your love for God. As your vine grows higher and higher, abiding with Him, love, joy, and peace begin to come over yourself. Um, Patience, kindness, goodness, those are things that our love grows outward, that we're growing outward in our love and interaction with other people. And then finally, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are inward character traits that we grow in as God's love and love for other people begins to soften our stony hearts. Last, so you can't force it. It grows slow. It grows in three directions. And last, there's just one fruit. Notice there are works of the Spirit and there's fruit. I'm sorry, works of the flesh, fruit, singular word of the Spirit, meaning you can't have one without the other. There's a fruit of the Spirit. And I couldn't think of a good analogy, maybe seeds inside of a fruit or something that's aspects of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You can't have one without the other. You can't have true kindness without a true love for other people or else you're just putting on a face. You're just being Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, Or you can't have true gentleness without goodness, or you're just being a pushover. And so to consider the way that fruit is born in us, it is those four things. Can't force it, grows grows in three directions, and there's really just one. Let me end here. Uh, One of my favorite books that C.S. Lewis uh, ever wrote is a book called The Great Divorce. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. 
highly, uh, highly recommend it. But there's a, there's a scene. It's a, the whole thing's an analogy. But there's a scene between this sort of ghostly man who's somewhere between life uh, and, and, the, and death, or life and, the, and eternity. And he's got this little red lizard on his shoulder. And this little red lizard is whispering in his ear all sorts of lustful thoughts, all sorts of things that, don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you could? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? And an angel approaches. And as the angel approaches, the, the man can almost not look at him directly. This angel is so bright, and there's, there's almost a heat coming off of him that he's put off by it. And he, and he says, come no closer. Angel comes and stops and says, do you want me to kill that lizard? And the man responds, no, 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 it burns. Don't get any closer. And then you hear the lizard with his tail whipping on the side of the man's shoulder saying, I'll be good. I'll be so I won't do it anymore. I'll be innocent, I promise. And then the angel pursues. And the man screams, it burns, it burns. And he grabs the lizard and he crushes it in his hand and he drops it on the ground. And then something happens. The ghostly man changes into this big, bright, solid person. And the lizard then comes up off of the ground and changes into this majestic stallion with a golden mane and a golden tail. And the man jumps on top of the stallion and rides off into the sunset. What image is Lewis helping us to understand? He's helping us to understand how do Christians grow? What does health in the Christian life look like? It looks like those, all of those little places, all of those little red lizards whipping their tails on your shoulder, being grabbed by the Holy Spirit and thrown onto the ground. But that's not the end of the image. The end of the image is for whatever that thing is that has your lunch right now, for whatever that thing is that you just feel so intoxicated by, if I, I just feel so tempted, I can't stop myself, oh, what's wrong with me? is that whatever you are walking away from, whatever you are repenting of, whatever you are choosing to turn in the other direction from by the power of the Spirit is so much better. This was a, a half-hearted existence. This is a golden stallion. And so the angel says this, is a poor, weak, whimpering thing compared to the richness, energy of desire, which will arise when lust has been killed. The invitation, whatever it is that you find yourself in, in the fight with today, is that as with the Spirit's help, you put those things to death and walk in the direction of the Spirit, both actively with all of your will and passively asking for more power to do that which you cannot do in your own. What is being grown in your life is so much better than what you're leaving behind. The control that grips you right now can be turned into a life of open-handed faith. 
the despair that plagues you every morning when you wake up can turn into a life of patient waiting on the Lord. The bitterness that you cannot stop spewing on everyone in your family can turn into a full-hearted love, full with God's love for you, full with his love for others. So Mr. Hyde has to die. Let me close with verse 26. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified with its passions and desires. That doesn't say Jesus has crucified it. That says we actively have a participation where we are crucifying all of those fleshly things that we still find in and of ourselves. And by his death and resurrection, so are the very things that die in us New resurrection, new life, fullness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Count them all. Begin to grow in you. That's the invitation of the Spirit. Walk by it. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Goodness. As I look back at my past week, I find myself hiding. I find myself ashamed. I find myself guilty and regretful. And I imagine many of us are in the same boat. Find us in that. And with a gentle hand, guide us out of our desires and replace them with true and better ones. Desire for you. Desire for true communion with you and true love for our neighbor. Nothing is better, and yet we think everything is better. (laughs) Convince us otherwise by your Spirit's power, even as we sing now. We pray in Christ.